I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Fortitude, the strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain or adversity with courage. If you've lived, then you've been called upon to show fortitude at some point in your life. Maybe it was something as simple as asking that boss you don't like for a raise, or maybe it was something far more serious like being asked to speak at a funeral for someone that you love. To live is to experience adversity and pain sometimes even danger. And if you're living greatly, we're called upon to face that pain with courage. Courage. What really is courage? The mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. So courage is not the absence of fear. To show courage is to be afraid, but to saddle up anyway and get the mission done. I believe that fortitude and courage are inextricably linked. They go hand in hand. I also believe that these characteristics are absolutely essential in the next generation of American leaders. My next guest is one of that generation, Eli Crane. He's a former Navy SEAL. He's the CEO of a company called Bottle Breacher, which was featured on Shark Tank, and now he's a freshman member of Congress. Eli embodies fortitude and courage, and it was on full display for his very first vote in Congress. He was one of a few Republican holdouts during the vote for Speaker of the House. 15 rounds of votes, relentless and unforgiving pressure to cave to other members, the media, lobbyists, special interests, pundits, you name it. He faced it during that vote, but he never budged. He didn't compromise his principles. Regardless of whether you agree with him or not, or that vote, isn't that refreshing? I think so, because All too often, whether you're a Democrat or Republican or independent, we have members of Congress who campaign on issues and then do the opposite in Washington, essentially abandoning those who got them elected in the first place. I have a feeling that the people of Arizona's 2nd Congressional District won't have that issue. So I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Congressman Eli Crane. If you like what you hear, Be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel or wherever you listen to podcasts. Battleground is a show for you, a show that cuts through all the BS, is beholden to no one, a show that is dedicated to saving our exceptional nation. Never surrender, ladies and gentlemen. Eli Crane, welcome to Battleground. By the way, you are the uh, congressman-elect for Arizona's 2nd Congressional District, man. I've known you for a long time. Uh, Navy SEAL, CEO of an amazing company called Bottle Breacher. This is this is a new path for you, though, man. And I have to tell you, Eli, I was I was cheering for you pretty hardcore, man. Like you were one of my favorite candidates, you along with uh, Morgan Latrell and Derek Van Orden and Ryan Zinke uh, loved Blake, Blake Masters and Carrie Lake as well. And I just think like 
this country is very lucky to have you. So, so welcome to the program. Hey, thanks a lot, Sean. I appreciate it. So how you doing, man? How, how's life treating you uh, as the new congressman elect? You know, it's pretty good. Um, it, it's definitely been a you know wild year and a half from the campaign to going right into orientation. And uh, I'm just grateful that we did get a little bit of reprieve over the, uh, the, the holidays to take a breath, rest a little bit, because uh, things are going to start furious and fast come January 3rd. I, I man, I, I saw a picture. Uh, I think DVO Derek Van Orden tweeted it out a picture of you, a picture of Derek, a picture of Morgan Luttrell and and a picture of Ryan Zinke on the steps of the Capitol for your orientation. Um, please tell me that you knuckle draggers didn't break anything when you were in Washington, maybe other than the broken system. Well, that's the thing. They're actually pretty smart up there. They only allow us team guys to get together for uh, pictures and then they, they <laughs> um, and so no, it's it's always cool to see some uh, familiar faces and to uh, you know have individuals in the room that you know you've worked with in the past and uh, you come from a similar community or the same community and so that's always that's always nice to because I I know that a lot of these folks walk into uh, that swampy town and they don't know anybody and it's got to be it's got to be terrifying for them and so it, it's always good to uh, see a friendly face. Man, that is such a great point, Eli, because there in Washington, there is strength in numbers. And so going in there, I think with a coalition of people around you who are on a similar mission, uh, and obviously I know that that fighting for freedom is something that that you've always done and you value and having men and, and women on your left and right when you're on Capitol Hill is something that's immensely important. And that's how you know, one great movements happen, but also change as well. Um, you talk about the the brotherhood of the SEAL team community. Uh, you were a Navy SEAL as well. How has that shaped your perspective and prepped you for running an effective campaign, but also being on Capitol Hill? You know, it might not be ways that people would, you know, typically think of, you know, you think of special operations and you think of combat and um, but actually in many ways, you know, coming into a SEAL team as a new guy, um, there's a, there's an intense amount of pressure. Um, and there's an intense amount of tough love. That's probably the nicest way I can say it, you know? Um, but when you come into, when you come into Congress and you come into a role like this, there's an intense amount of pressure to play the game and do what you're told. And, uh, being around, you know, Chris Kyle was, uh, he wasn't my first LPO, but he was my second LPO. He was my leading petty officer for two years. And so being able to deal with, you know, strong personalities and, uh, you know, survive and keep your head held high and try and do the right thing. Um, you know, when, when you're dealing with those strong personalities that have a lot of pull um, where you don't, um, I, I think that stuff like that has been really influential for me and in just, uh, you know, not forgetting why I'm here and, and not forgetting, you know, the, the constituents and the people back home that actually voted for me. It's really easy when you get up into that swampy mess to start getting pressure from all these different people. And, and, and in many ways, they're people you respect, but they don't have they they don't really have the interest of your constituents in mind. They have everybody has their own agenda. And so just being able to be mentally tough and mentally strong and remember what the mission is. 
um, I, I think has been one of the top things that I brought from the SEAL teams and, and that I'm going to be, you know, relying on heavily up here in Washington. Ah, oh, man, Eli, that, that gets me psyched to hear you say that because it does seem like as someone, I mean, who I've run for office myself, I know how our constituents that feel about this issue. And I think what they value now more than ever before is someone who's going to go to Washington and not forget them and fight for them um, and be willing to take the tough stands on issues that really matter. And whether it's an the issue of border security, which I know hits very close to home for you, or election integrity, which has become and needs to become a major pillar of the GOP moving forward. Uh, but the ability, first of all, if you're a SEAL, you're tough. You're someone who loves this country. You volunteered to serve this country after 9-11, knowing that you were going to go into the fight, knowing that you might not make it home. Um and I like the idea of you going on Capitol Hill with that attitude, Eli, because like it's going to take that level of toughness when you're trying to be whipped into a position that you don't want to take that might not be in the best interest of your constituents. Do you know what I mean? Have you, have you felt any of that pressure? Well, I'm sure. I'm, in fact, I kind of already know the answer to this question because I'm sure you felt some of this pressure already. But but have you felt some of that pressure? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, from. You know, honestly, from some of the most powerful people in the country. And so, you know, and it's one of those things where that's why I talked. I went immediately to, you know, dealing with, you know, very powerful. You know, I once told another new guy, um, you know, we we're a new guy at SEAL Team 3 in Delta Platoon. I told him we were driving around San Diego running some errands. And I said, you know, um, just because of. Chris Kyle was already called the legend at that time. And uh, he hadn't, he wasn't done with his service yet. He hadn't written a book. There were no movies about him, but everybody knew who he was. They knew what he had done. And, and we, me and this other new guy worked directly for him. There were only 20 guys in that platoon. And I commented just after walking into this, you know, this situation and realizing how tiny I was and how big he was. And I said to the other new guy, I said, you know, sometimes, um, and I won't mention his name, but um, sometimes, brother, I, th I think that Chris could kill one of us, throw us in a dumpster and nobody would even care about it. You know? <laughs> and we kind of laughed about it. But, um, you know, so I think that experiencing stuff like that is really going to be valuable um, up here because I'm a lot older now. Um, though I'm I'm still I'm once again the new guy on Capitol Hill and I have a lot to learn um, again, you know, I'm not going to forget why I came here. And if that means that certain people aren't happy with me, that's OK. I didn't want this job. I never wanted this job, Sean, but I was really concerned with the direction that our country's headed. I know that there are some strengths that I have. And, you know, one of the strengths that I have is just, you know, trying to do the right thing. And, and, and sometimes just, you know, with, with a certain stubbornness about it. And, uh, but I'm going to try and do it in a, you know, a, a positive and loving way and not, you know, uh, not be abrasive or alienate people at the same time. And, uh, you know, I hope I can maintain, you know, key relationships with people that I care about and respect in the process. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming up here to be popular and, you know, I'm not coming up here to be in the good old boys club. I'm coming up here to represent the people of, 
my district that are sick and tired of sending people to Washington that don't don't do what they ask them to do. They don't represent them. And it's like, man, I, I'm watching interviews and reading articles left and right about certain issues going on right now up in Capitol Hill. And you hear people talking about this and talking about that, but you rarely hear them talk about what their constituents want, what they expect. Um, and, and I think it's unfortunate because that's what we are. We're representatives. And so, um, you know, it's, it's going to be, an, it's going to be interesting, Sean, because I mean, I, I think the majority of the people that probably are tuning into your show realize how broken this country is. That's exactly it's, right. And sometimes it just gets overwhelming because it's just like, my God, where do we, where do we even start in this, on this mess? And, you know, I think it's you You just take one bite of the elephant at a time and, and you try really hard to make sure that, again, you don't forget why you're here and you don't forget who you represent. Yeah, that's exactly right. And just so I want to explain like the the what you just said, take one bite of the elephant at a time, like the idea that when you're in a real tough situation, it's tough to wrap your mind around the totality of what that mission might be. So for me, like one of those like. One of those moments was was Ranger School, and I'm sure Bud's week for you, or just just the the gauntlet that you had to run to become a Navy SEAL, and the level of commitment that you needed in your heart and mind to make that make that mission a reality in your life. The idea that, like in Ranger School, you look at 62 days, which often oftentimes becomes 90 and 120 for guys like me who aren't that high speed, but like. The idea that like, how am I going to make it through this school marching 20 miles a day, eating one meal a day, sleeping a couple hours a night? And and the way that you do it is one, you just never quit, but you just take one bite of the at one bite of the elephant at a time. Can't eat the elephant all in one sitting. Right. That's right. Um, So one small bite at a time, one moment at a time, one foot in front of the other. And one one day becomes a week and one week becomes 60 days. And at, at 62 days, you graduate that school. And so I love that attitude, Eli, because it's it's going to take that mentality going into Washington and going in, going into Capitol Hill. And you're right. There are so many issues that we face as a nation right now. And really, it does feel like our country is coming apart at the seams. And the speed at which after the 2020 presidential election, the the debacle that was the 2020 presidential election, the speed at which this country has what seems like fallen off a cliff. And I used to joke around in the campaign trail and say, you know, if you were trying to destroy this country in two years or less, what exactly would you do differently than Joe Biden is doing right now? Right. It seems like. Like there's this tendency, Eli, uh, to to sort sort of say, "Oh, Joe Biden's just an old buffoon, doesn't know what the hell he's doing." Like, so, oh, there's clearly somebody behind the curtain um, controlling him. But actually, I think it, I think the the opposite is true. He's been ruthlessly efficient in his mission in just two years in office. And and you look at like this issue of Title 42 and how that will affect the state of Arizona, your district, and your constituents. Uh, <laughs> It seems like they want to roll back Title 42 fast as possible, even though it would hurt the people of Arizona. No, you're right, Sean. And I've made similar remarks on the campaign trail myself. And it's it's because at the at the core of my being, I believe it. I none of this makes sense to me unless you're trying to destroy the country. I mean, you're either they, they're either the most foolish and competent people in the world or they're trying to destroy it. <laughs> 
exactly. And, and, and when you pair when you pair it with the fact that you know they are in many ways pushing socialism, Marxism, radical ideologies that have never worked, um, you know, to make a people more free or prosperous. It, it makes me come down on the side every time that they're trying to destroy it. And so that's, again, one reason why a guy like me who never wanted to be in politics, who definitely, you know, never wanted to wear a suit every day, as you can tell by my, you know, hillbilly attire, <laughs> um, you know, but hey, this is where the fight is now. And so if my kids are going to grow up with the freedom and opportunity that you and I did, okay, where's the fight? How can I be used? And, um, and, you know, this is where God has put me at this point in time. And I feel grateful, um, to be able to serve my country once again and, and show my kids, you know, through example that, Hey, you know, life isn't, you know, life isn't all about vacations and, you know, and, and all and pleasure and all these things that, yeah, all of us want, but life is full of adversity. You were give, given skills, talents, and abilities. What are you going to do with them? And, you know, it's like those those are the things in my life that are the most fulfilling when I'm actually in the fight, when I'm using the skills and talents and abilities that God gave me to fight for something that I feel as much believe is much bigger than me, uh, much more important than me. And I'm just glad to be a tiny, tiny little part uh, of, you know, a, a much bigger story. Well, I know that being a family man and a father and, and a husband is something that is really important to you, Eli. How have, how have you, how have you walked this path with your family? Because it's when you, when you decide to run for office, it's not like a decision that that you're making in a vacuum. Um, Your, your wife is affected in crazy ways that maybe you didn't foresee when you made the decision. Your children are affected every day when they go to school. How, how have you, how has your family adjusted to this? I don't want to say it's, I don't want to, it's a career change for sure, but serving and fighting for this country is something that you've always done, but doing it as a, a representative on Capitol Hill and a representative of the people of your district in Arizona is, is a different thing. And the fight is different. So has your family been affected by this at all? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't think there's any way that they couldn't be, but thankfully for me, um, I have an amazing wife who, you know, has been the bedrock and the foundation of our family for a very long time. You know, she's been the CEO of our household for a very long time and she does an amazing job doing it. Her and I were married the entire time I was in the SEAL teams. We have a 95% divorce rate, you know, so uh, just we've, we've been through a lot together. And then we started a small business together, which is which I don't recommend to a lot of couples. Um, but, you know, and we lived through that together. So even though my family has absolutely, you know, felt a lot of the, you know, strain of this new chapter, um, in many ways, I think that, you know, we're as well equipped to deal with it as, you know, most, most families can be. And so I I think just, you know, trying to bring your kids into it while protecting them at the same time and, and just talking through things with them that they might see or they might hear, but also talking about the bigger picture and why it's important. You know, that's something that I made sure that my kids understand and they, you know, they, they know full well that dad didn't need another feather in his cap. This wasn't something that, and they, they never heard me talk about it in the past that I wanted to run for office one day, you know, so 
I think that they understand that. They just know that I love this country. I'm very concerned about this country. And I tell them why. I tell them specifics. And I try and help them understand because I know that often in this culture, they're getting the exact opposite. They're getting indoctrinated or, you know, into, you know, just a bunch of nonsense and and being taught to hate this country and that this country is you know, inherently racist and, and all of these other things. And so I want my kids to, you know, instead of just, you know, playing video games and, and, and all the other stuff that I, I think, you know, can be great for kids, but I I want them to understand that there's a bigger picture out there. And if, you know, freedom has always had to be fought for, it's not just, it's not just given, it's not just granted. It's actually very unique. And, and there have been so many men and women, Sean, that even before you and I ever put a uniform on, fought for this country and fought for something greater than themselves. And that's what it's always going to take. So I want my kids to understand that. And maybe if they don't decide to serve themselves, you know, maybe at least they'll have I, – I, I hope they have the respect for men and women that continue to, you know, put their lives on the line, s- sacrifice time with their families so that, you know, uh, the next generations can – you know, enjoy what we did. Do you, do you ever, are you afraid for the future of your children in the country that they may inherit? Absolutely. That's why I'm doing this. I'm terrified. I'm terrified with what I see every day from how foolish we, how foolish we, we've been. I'm, I'm terrified when I see the national debt, what it is. I'm, you know, and here's the thing we, we, we were talking about Democrats. I'm as pissed off at Republicans as I am at Democrats I'll tell you something, Sean. I haven't voted on any legislation yet, but we did vote on conference rules uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, 52 of us voted to get rid of earmarks and 150 people voted. 150 Republicans voted to keep them in place. Now, keep in mind, earmarks can be a good thing, especially if you're in a rural rural district like mine. But, you know, this this government has gone has gone so far south. So far off the rails, there's almost no fiscal completely out of control. It is. And it's it's just like and and I kept hearing the theme. Guys were saying, oh, well, this is our constitutional duty and, you know, to control the purse strings. And, and, and that's true. But it's also our constitutional duty to show some fiscal responsibility and to keep be responsible with money that's not even our money. It, it belongs to the taxpayer and the constituents. And and it's like one of the other themes I heard, Sean, was, oh, well, this is just one percent of you know our spending. And I'm like, well, if you're not willing to if you're not willing to make sacrifice and cuts to one percent of the spending, don't tell me you're going to do it for ninety nine percent of the spending. And it's just like everybody just sees this town as this, you know, golden connex box um, and, you know, and, and just a way to, you know, you know, promote themselves and go back to their district and wave this little line item around. Hey, I got us this, you know, this little thing that we all wanted. Um, but it, it's just, it's kind of sad, Sean, because I expect Democrats to be Democrats and continue to move in lockstep with these radical ideologies that are destroying the country. But I'm, I'm more disappointed in Republicans that don't show any appetite to actually make the hard choices to do what's necessary to turn, start turning this thing back in the direction it needs to go. I, t- I totally agree with you. And in, in, in this $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill is a perfect example of that. Like it, why the Republicans did not wait until 
Republicans took control of the House in January, if for no other reason than just giving them some leverage at the negotiating table about talking about what's which in the actual bill uh, is beyond me. And, and the idea that, look, the idea that we are spending money to protect other countries' borders and yet not protecting our own and while we're in the middle of a pandemic. And by the way, like the, the what what the New York Times and the Washington Post are all forcing down our throats now is the, the triple-demic, like the idea that RSV, flu, and COVID together is creating some terrible health crisis, while at the same time letting Title 42 expire, which, which as you know, Title 42 is less of an immigration uh, uh, law, more of a of health policy. So you're talking about dismantling Title 42 so that asylum seekers and illegal immigrants can pour over the board or over a southern border into our country when crime is at almost at an all time high, especially in cities like Philadelphia, where they just hit their 500th homicide this year. Um, drugs are pouring into the country in the middle of a, of a pandemic. It just everything that they do, Eli, seems to be laser focused on what the left calls fundamentally transforming our country. And and what I ask people often is, like, do you understand what that means to fundamentally transform the greatest country on the face of the planet, the freest country on the face of the planet means to tear it down brick by brick and rebuild it into something that I I know I didn't raise my right hand to fight for. You know, and the idea that my children might inherit that country country is is something that scares the hell out of me. No, I'm I'm with you 100 percent. And like I said, it just goes back to are they completely foolish or are they trying to destroy it? And uh, maybe a combination of both. I, I really don't know. The bottom line is, to your point, nothing that they're doing really makes sense if, if you're trying to create freedom, safety and opportunity. And, you know, and, and, and you and I have just hit a couple of the, you know, the issues, you know, but what, what I see going on with the Department of Justice and the FBI is probably as scary as anything, um, anything out there. And, and this FBI and this Department of Justice must be brought back under control because they become partisan, they become weaponized. And uh, that that is not their charter. It's not it's not what they were ever intended to do. And it's it's got to stop if, if we're going to have, you know, a constitutional republic, you know, where, where where you have freedom of speech and people aren't targeted because of their political views. And it, it's just gotten way out of hand. And, and the idea that there are actual ex-intelligence agency personnel working at places like Twitter, Facebook, Google, you know, ex-NSA, CIA, uh, Intel folks from the military working at these institutions, working with and colluding with our government to suppress opinions that they don't like, uh, just even talk about election integrity and the idea that mail-in ballots are, are are not secure. And by the way, I have the same opinion that Jimmy Carter had, the same opinion that the New York Times had in 2012, uh, the idea that mail-in ballots are are, are not as secure. They're not secure. No, they're not. <laughs> so they're not. They're not. And I think, I, I, don't quote me on this, but I think it's almost two thirds of the European Union won't even allow. That's exactly right. Because, That's exactly right. Because even your, even the Europeans know that it's, it's the easiest way to corrupt an election. And, and it just, it's so sad to me because I think Americans have, we become so, 
um, we become so checked out and so complacent. Like we don't, we're not even tracking on things like this anymore. Like it, it blows my mind that, you know, the United States is like the number one consumer for, you know, child sex trafficking. I mean, it's just disgusting to me. But yet people don't think that we would, you know, we have people here that would interfere in elections if it, if it meant giving them the power that they so desire. And it's just, you have to understand humanity. And I think you have to understand the context of good and evil and what men and women have been willing to do throughout the history, the, the course of history for power. And it's, Americans are no different. And it's just, it blows my mind that, you know, people don't think that, or, or think it's a big deal that we don't have tightly run elections. If your vote doesn't matter, that's a massive problem, you know, and it's just, and I'm not saying it happens everywhere. I'm, I'm really not. All I'm saying is a lot of the stuff that's been going on in our elections for a long time, it's very, it's very concerning. And I don't, you know, I, I don't believe it's accidental. I don't believe it's coincidental at all. I believe there are people, you know, in, in this country, just like in any other country that are willing to, you know, corrupt our system, that are willing to, um, you know, commit fraudulent activities in our elections to achieve the outcome that they want. And if you're willing to open your eyes and, and you know, take away, hey, I'm a Republican, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm an independent, just look at a lot of the evidence from, you know, some of the ballot harvesting, you know, that, you know, 2000, 2000 mules and true the vote exposed um, to, you know, some of the other, you know, some of the other things that have taken place. I mean, it's right there for you to see. You just have to you just have to be willing to see it and not bury your head in the sand because you don't want to see it. Because if you do see it, then you realize, oh, my God, this country is in a lot more trouble than I thought it was. I, I mean, I totally agree when you're talking about power in, in millions and millions of dollars on the line in the most powerful nation on the face of the planet, you know, what people would and would not be willing to do to, to gain those positions of power. And if it was, if it meant, you know, if it meant mailing in a couple ballots without a clear chain of custody or signing somebody's ballot, which of course is, is, is somebody else's ballot is of course against the law. Uh, if people, I, I firmly believe that people would, would absolutely do something like that, Eli. And it, so, what what's your take on what happened in Maricopa County with Carrie Lake? Because it, I, I saw her lawsuit. I read through her lawsuit, having had a, a, a several election lawsuits myself. I had a case at the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, at the United States Supreme Court. Um, I've been involved in funding a, a election lawsuits. We have a, we have a case at the Supreme Court now or had a case at the Supreme Court on the, the independent state legislature theory here in Pennsylvania. While that case was dismissed, a lot of its tenants were taken up in the North Carolina case that the United States Supreme Court is going to be hearing. Election cases or election cases are tough because they require substantive proof. But it seemed like Carrie Lake had built a very compelling case with regards to witnesses, whistleblowers, actual ballots whose signatures did not match, like concrete proof that ballots were not being counted on site and be counted off site, which is a violation of procedure. And it just seemed like, you know, the the judge much of this information was presented to the judge in a very clear and concise way, but because the Board of Elections of Maricopa County didn't admit to doing it on purpose, there was nothing that that we could do. And to me, that's a great flaw in our system because 
what about tens of thousands of people that potentially were disenfranchised for that or people that cast votes that had their ballot negated by one that probably shouldn't have been counted in the first place like to me this is this is a real problem as you mentioned Eli and I and I just would love to get your take on it because I know your boots on the ground out there yeah you know I think that uh I think that unfortunately voters did get disenfranchised once again out here in Arizona I mean and you can start you can start from you know even the real the just the basics go look go if if you've ever if you've ever gone to an event and you've ever watched Carrie Lake Carrie Lake was one of the best candidates in the entire country I don't you know I think you know in the entire country that woman is dynamic she's as good of a communicator as there was in the country um she's very she's very aggressive in you know just the plans that she'd laid out um, you know, and when you compared her to Katie Hobbs, I mean, it was not even, not even a question of who the stronger candidate was. Um, and then some of the things that you talked about, you know, this is one of the things that bothers me, Sean, because the burden of, and, and I'm not an, I'm not, I'm not a, an election integrity, um, expert or anything like that, but just the, the, the following that I was doing on it, I think they had very hot. You know, Carrie's attorneys and her legal team had a very high, you know, bar that the, the judge, you know, set and that they had to prove um, that, it, you know, a lot of these things were intentional. And that can be very hard to do, especially with the amount of time that they were given. That being said, you know, some of the evidence showed that, you know, there were up to 300,000 ballots that didn't have chain of custody. Right. There were. And, and I think that I think it was shown that. There was no way possible for, um, you know, some some of these many of the signatures didn't match. In many cases, I think the signatures were being, um, you know, looked over by AI or intelligence that, you know, artificial intelligence isn't even allowed. Um, You know, and it's just like, here's here's the thing. Like a lot of people, they're like, oh, that's not really that big of a deal. There's no there's no smoking gun or whatever. But if you were in a court of law and you were being prosecuted, and, you know, the, the evidence that was being used against you had no chain of custody. The case would probably be thrown out immediately. And you probably you probably be glad that there was actually chain of custody protections to make sure that evidence wasn't tampered with because that stuff does happen. But, you know, and and signature verification and, you know, chain of custody are two of the only protections that allow us to have mail in voting you know, mail-in voting in the first place. That Those were the safeguards that were put in place to tell people, hey, this is going to be okay. We can do this. I know I know it's been corrupted other places, but we're going to put safeguards in there to make sure that you're, you're, you're not disenfranchised and that your vote really does count. And so when those things aren't adhered to, like they weren't once again out here in Arizona, that's a problem. And it does affect elections and the outcome of elections. And Carrie Lake, Abe Hamaday, and others – are absolutely justified, in my opinion, in, in, in calling foul. And, and it's not just them. A lot of a lot of Arizonans are calling foul. And I know it's not just Arizonans that watch that trial and feel, oh, my God, what is the deal with our elections? They're not safe. They're not transparent. They're not secure. You know, why is this why is this stuff going on? And to have all the te- to have all the machines go down, you know, not not all of them, but a a, a very significant percentage of the machines go down on election day. I mean, come on. 
it, it's just it's ridiculous. Everybody knows it. And honestly, Sean, I don't know how we get there, but I think this is one of the ways that we get there is by people not being afraid to talk about it. You know, like we've been told for, you know, I've even been told in my my brief political career, Eli, you can't talk about election integrity because it doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't pull well and people don't want to hear about it. People just want to move on. No, I'm not. I'm not going to just move on and act like this stuff isn't happening. You know, it's, it blows my mind that people think you could just, you know, you can just move on and not talk about election integrity and then everything's going to be fine. No, if, if our elections aren't tightly run and people don't have confidence in them and they aren't transparent, we don't have a country. You know, we're, we're teetering on, we're teetering towards third world banana Republic territory and everybody. And, knows and, it, it. and it wasn't that long ago the Democrats said the same thing. Yeah, I know. In 2018, you had Kamala Harris out there talking about voting machines being un- unsecure um, and th- we should move to paper ballots because they're more secure. They can't be hacked. Um, you had the, the Democrats almost universally saying that the Russians interfered in our elections and installed president. President Trump was an illegitimate president. They did it for They did it for all four years of his presidency. They complained about election machines. They complained about election integrity. And the moment that Republicans voice any concerns about election integrity and come forward with very pragmatic solutions, and we're not talking about, you know, Krakens from space or anything like that, right? We're talking about pragmatic election reforms that would make people's vote secure. And and I totally agree. That, that this is something that Republicans need to tackle head on, especially in the new Congress in January. And if and, and, and the first step, as you said, is being able to talk about these issues. And, and this is something that frustrates me with Republicans, not just uh, not just you know, people in the House, but all across the country. The left has this. They have like they full tactical freedom to say what they want with the full support of of a willing media like that that is wholeheartedly pushing their propaganda nonstop on the american people yet when the republicans when republicans raise their voice or talk about what matters to them you're labeled a conspiracy theorist when in fact the democrats have been, they <laughs> the democrats have been <laughs> like talking conspiracies for all 4 years of the trump administration no, you're right, Sean. And that's why, you know, I think courage is the most important virtue right now, because it, the, it's, you know, we make fun of politicians all the time and how how stupid they are. They're not stupid. It's just a lot of them lack courage and I, I think moral integrity. And it's like, you know, it, it, as human beings, I think it's it's easy to focus on ourselves and what can I get out of this deal and how can I, you know, how can I pad my, you know, retirement or, or whatever? How can I get that that next hookup or that next job? And, you know, it, it's got to stop or we're going to lose this country. And it's and, it, and it, it's on both sides. And it's just like, you know, just having the having the courage to just say, hey, you know what? You guys can call me whatever you want, but I'm going to talk about the reality of the situation and what needs to be done. Um, I, I think it's more important now than, you know, than ever. And I think there's a way to do it, um, uh, you know, and I'm not going to say I'm the best at best at that, but I'm going to keep working towards trying to, you know, be a solid communicator and also um, 
you know, help the, the folks on the right and the left of me, because I, I know that courage is contagious. So is fear. And when other when other people see, you know, when other people see, you know, leaders step up and be courageous, you know, they they start to think, oh, well, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could actually represent my constituents the way they want me to represent them and not sell them out every opportunity that I get because I'm told that that's not how this place works or they don't know what they're talking about or those those pesky voters back home. They don't they don't know what's going on. And so you can't really can't really vote the way they want you to vote. And it's just, it, you know, you you just like I said, courage, I think, is the most important attribute up here. And, you know, it definitely you got to come into this, in my opinion, you got to come into this knowing that you might not last long and you might get taken out and you might get sent, you might get sent packing and they might destroy your reputation. And, and, and if that's the, if that's the price, that's the price. And, and, but it needs to be paid. It needs to be paid by several of us so that our kids can grow up with what we had. And if this place, if this country falls on our watch, we got nobody to blame but ourselves. We got nobody to blame for ourselves. And man, and that's where I, I feel I, about it. You've already taken some courageous stances. I mean, you've already spoken out about the $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill. You've already talked about how the, the, the spending in this country is perhaps one of the greatest, if not the greatest national security threat that, that we face. Uh, it's it's completely out of control. Um, you, you've already taken a stand and voice concern about you know, who, who you're going to be voting for for the next House Speaker. Do you have a sense of who you're going to support yet? Oh yeah, I already I already know who I'm going to be voting for, and you guys, you know, uh, you guys will just have to watch on January third. But it's going to be it's going to be in, it's going to be in line with you know it's going to be in line with everything that I've said today. And um, like I said, I'm here to I am here to support and be the voice for my constituents. And, and you know, it's sometimes is 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 wild and complicated as we want to make it. Sometimes it really boils down to that. I am a representative. That is my title. If I'm not representing the people that voted for me and sent me here, I need to go home, period. And, you know, it's like, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be wild. I think it's going to be interesting, Sean. Um, you know, we haven't seen a, 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 a fight on the House floor in uh, about a century. And so I, I think that we're going to see one come January 3rd and, uh, you know, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be wild. I think it's going to be exciting. But I, I am I am glad that there are members of the Republican conference that don't just do what they're told. They don't just fall in line and, OK, this is OK. I guess this is what we all have to do. Um, I'm glad that there I'm glad that there are members of this conference that are still fighting for the best possible best possible outcome for the people that we represent so i i man your your courage is is contagious as you say and uh, i i am optimistic about your future man you're a fighter you've always been a fighter um i, I want to be respectful of your time but i gotta ask you what, what's your legislative agenda like what are the top three priorities that you have uh in this new republican controlled house majority and what committees do you want to be on yeah, no, I appreciate it, Sean. And so 
my agenda, I, I like to keep things simple. And I know this, you know, this probably sounds like talking points, but it's just America first. Okay. I think if you put that, if, if you ask yourself on everything that we're going to look at, is this the best thing for America and Americans? Um, I think that that's always a good lens to put between every piece of legislation that you look at. Um, you know, uh, a couple of things that I really want to focus on is obviously I want to be a part of securing the border. And I also want to be a part of trying to um, bring some fiscal responsibility back to this body. And uh, like I, I was just telling you about the earmark vote that, you know, earmark vote that we took. And uh, so fiscal responsibility, you know, securing the border, doing everything that we can to bring this Department of Justice, um, you know, back to the position and the place that it's supposed to be in, where it's not partisan, where it actually it, where justice is blind. I want to be a, I want to be a part of that. A couple of the committees that I'm trying to get on are for my district. Natural resources is a big one. We have a lot of natural resources in Congressional District 2. We have mining, forestry issues. You know, we have serious water issues out in Arizona. So that that's a really good fit. And then uh, Homeland Security as well, because that has oversight of the border. And so those are a couple of the uh, committees that I want to be on. And unfortunately, I don't I could put in a dream sheet and say this is what I want. But <laughs> It, like, like, like I've already talked talk to you about this place, it, it's transactional. And so, you know, if you're not willing to, if you're not willing to play ball, sometimes you don't get the committees that you want and we'll see what happens. But, um, but, you know, like I said, I'm not going to forget why I came here and uh, my expectations are pretty low in, you know, in, in just because this place is so swampy and so corrupt, but, God's put me here for a reason. I don't quite fully understand that yet, but I'm just going to keep trying to, you know, not become something I hate in the process and continue to represent the people that sent me here. I mean, you said it multiple times, man, that, that the job is a representative of the people. And that doesn't always mean taking popular decisions with leadership or falling in line with what the goals of leadership in Washington want, especially when those goals uh, run contrary to those of the people that you represent. Eli, I think that you've got your head on straight, man. I think you're going to be a great representative for the people of Arizona too. And like I said, I, I watched your race very closely, man. And just keep fighting, never surrender. I know I don't have to tell that to a guy like you, um, but you're going to be great, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks, Sean. I really appreciate the time, brother. Okay, everyone. Mission complete. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and wherever you listen to podcasts. The more subscribers we get, the more shows we can do. Join the platoon. Get in the fight. Help us save this great country. Follow me on Twitter at Sean Parnell USA and on Facebook and on Instagram. Send me your comments. I try to read them all. Share screenshots of the podcast and I'll share them to my social media. Leave reviews for me because that helps too. And as always, I am truly grateful for your support. Thank you for joining me. And may God bless this incredible country that we get to call home. Take care.
Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.